Welcome to Just to Know You, the podcast that interviews regular people at SAES and finds out they are far from regular. That's right. I'm your host, Darian Batten. And I'm Angela Kerskadden. Let's get started. Hello. How are you? I'm good. I'm great. Good. Thank you so much for volunteering to be on Just to Know You. really appreciate this. Oh, well, it's such a pleasure to just be asked. So I'm excited to be here today. Thanks for asking. Let's start with kind of like a big picture question. Why don't you tell our listeners, where did you grow up? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I um, am from Washington State, a really small town called Mossy Rock, Washington. And if you are dying to know, yes, there is a rock and it does have moth on it. (laughs) (laughs) And Mossy Rock is a really beautiful place. It sits in the valley of Mount Rainier and Mount St. Helens, and it's just farmland and forests and lakes and rivers. Um, it's stunning. Um, I think I was born actually on the east side of Washington in Yakima. And Yakima is warm and it's a little bit more like deserty type of, I think, temperature. And my parents really were craving that Pacific Northwest lifestyle. And so when I was a year, um, my parents moved to a lake called Lake Mayfield. And So I was really fortunate. I grew up um, living on water, living literally right on a lake in a small um, resort community. My dad is a wildlife biologist, um, and so he had a lot of projects that he was working on within the area. My mom at the time was working for uh, what it was called First Interstate Bank as a loan officer. So my parents had to commute. They, you know, had about a 45 minute to an hour commute, but they wanted that so that we could live in the outdoors and nature. And just, that was really important to my parents. So I had 25 kids that graduated my high school class with me. We probably, the town is um, maybe a little bit of about a thousand or under. Um, We were B11 football. So yeah, but it was a great place to grow up. So I'm super thankful for that. I literally spent my whole life there. Um, my parents didn't move, and they, they still have a home there today. And do you have siblings? I do. I have a brother. He is four years younger than I am, and we are as opposite as can be and <laughs> thick as thieves, right? Yeah. So we're, we have a great relationship, um, but we just, yeah, we're just completely opposite. He, I have three um nieces and nephews. I, I mean, he's got a great family and, but he's an outdoorsman. I mean, he's a fisherman, hunter. He's got bagels. He's in a really great spot to just do the things that, that he loves to do, which is being outside and raising his kids in nature. So it's pretty cool. So where did you go to university? There were, there were two things you did in Mossy Rock where I grew up. You went to school and maybe you were like a hunter and a fisherman and outdoorsman, or you played sports. And so I played sports. I, I played volleyball and basketball and softball, but basketball was my passion. And probably since the ripe old age of about being first grade, I remember doing little dribblers. And so I really wanted to play college ball. Super important to me. I love being part of a team and the camaraderie. My basketball coach, he was a huge influence on my life. We maybe end up talking about him later. So it was really important to me to try to find a place where I could go play ball. So I ended up, and I wanted to be a teacher. So I ended up going to Western Oregon, which is in Monmouth. And um, I spent my first year there in playing basketball. 
but the school was huge. You know, I'm a small town girl, came from a small town place. My first class had like 90 people and you'll totally laugh at this and probably see this. So the professor was like giving this big lecture and I'm like with literally like 90 to hundred people. And I like raised my hand <laughs> and he's like, uh, we don't do questions here. You can ask that in your lap. And I was like, what? Um, so after my first year, I just kind of felt like it wasn't a good fit for me. It was way too big. And I felt like a very small fish swimming in this big pool. So I transferred just right down the um, kind of the way to Linfield, which is a small private school in McMinnville, Oregon. And I spent um, the remainder of my three years there and playing ball and then getting my degree in education. I love McMinnville because you're close to Portland, you're close to the mountains, you're close to the Oregon coast. And so it's like really just this great place to not only study and stuff, but also just enjoy the outdoors. And so that's um, yeah, I was there for four years and enjoyed it, or three years, and then, um, but Oregon, Monmouth, and Linfield are pretty close um, in proximity. So you went straight into education. You weren't one of those people that are like going to try this and going to, uh, you just knew that you wanted to be a teacher. Is that right? Like, how did you know? What was, how does any 18 year old know this is their calling? <laughs> you know, I wanted to be a teacher when I was in high school. Reading was hard for me. I remember being in fifth grade. And you had like all of these like guided reading groups and I was in the blue elephant group and there was like a green group and I knew that that group was higher than me and I'm a very competitive person. So I was always trying to figure out like, what do I got to do to get into the green group? Right. And it took a long time for me to understand myself as a reader. Um, it was just something that I don't really think people knew that I had a reading issue. I think I was really good at masking it. I'm very verbal um, and I'm a verbal communicator. So I was able to talk a lot, but it really was masking my ability to actually read and comprehend. And so I think that as I got older, I was kind of like, well, gosh, somebody should probably have helped me out. <laughs> right. And I just took on this heart for kids who struggle because that's what I was. I was a kid who struggled, had a really good facade on. And so I knew. And so when I was a junior in high school, I was, you were able to kind of pick up classes where you could TA. So I started TAing for my second grade teacher, Mrs. Amstadt, my favorite teachers in the entire world. And I TAed for her my 11th grade year and my senior year. Um, I knew I wanted to be an elementary teacher. I knew I wanted to help kids that struggled. I knew I wanted to be able to create a place where every kid would feel like they belong. That was really important to me. I grew up, Monster Rock was a very transient community. So you had a lot of like migrant workers. And so the migrant workers would come through, they put their kids in school, and then they would kind of either stay the rest of the year and they move on. But what I saw even as a young child was that sometimes it was really hard for those kids to assimilate, especially with such small kind of town mentality and like, oh, we've all known each other and now who are you coming in? And so I think that as I got older, that became really important to me too, is like making friends with all these new kids that were coming in just because you could kind of see and I think too, because my mom and dad, we weren't born, we weren't like Mossy Rockians, you know, we didn't have generations. Remember someone saying like, you're, you, we were still an outsider. My family was still considered being an outsider. And that was always very apparent to us. Like we, you know, we didn't have these big farms that were generational. And so you guys were these outsiders that moved in. So I think I always had a heart for that. People that struggle, go for the underdog, make people feel included and belong. And so I knew, um, yeah, I wanted to go into education. I thought, if we're going to change the world, start with the little people. 
you know? And so I, there wasn't even a doubt or a question in my mind. I started my education studies even into my freshman year when I was at Western Oregon. And I never wavered on that. There was never a like, am I going to be a teacher or not? It was just, that's, that's what I wanted to do. And then at what point, when did you meet Brad? Yeah. So I, um, my first teaching job out of um, college was crazy. I went to work for the school district. They were a double levy failure school. Oh, what does that mean? They lost their funding to keep maintenance and just basic education running. They lost it for two years um, in the state of Washington. So basically the, the voters were voting no to fund the school. And so it was, it was awful, right? So here I come in this like super fired up, ready to change the world, you know, educator. And I'm cheap, like I'm a cheap hire, right? And I also just want a job. So my first job, because I had a, I have a reading specialist background and I worked, I did a lot of intensive training in reading and, and I walked out with a degree or a, whatever you call it, a, I guess maybe a important thing is a reading specialist, right? And so it's hilarious. So I interview and they're like, would you be a reading specialist? Would you be a, an elementary PE teacher? And will you teach um, two periods of seventh grade English? And I was like, yeah, this sounds awesome, <laughs> right? Because they can only get someone like me. And then um, I was hired as the girls head basketball coach. So, I mean, I'm 22 years old and I'm like running an entire reading specialist program. I'm the main PE teacher. And then I would Go drive down the hill and I would teach two periods of seventh grade English and then run the, I was the head basketball coach and I loved it, but it wasn't sustainable. So after a year I had received an, an opportunity to go to another school that was really prestigious basketball program. They had, they already had a program um, that was built. And so I interviewed, I had an interview for the teaching job there. So I interviewed for a third grade teaching job. And I got that job and then they hired me as the head girls basketball coach. And that was just such an amazing opportunity because I had a whole program from all the way from being a varsity coach to um, running a middle school program and being able to hire. So that's where I met Brad. And the first day I met Brad, and you're going to laugh at this because I'm like, walk in, we have this meeting. It's with all the coaches. I'm like super fired up. It's like my first day. <laughs> and I like come in as a hot ball mess. Right? I've got my bag and I got papers and binders. I'm like ready to get to business. Well, I was like an hour late for the meeting. I had got the time wrong, right? <laughs> I walk in, everybody's there. And I'm like, hello, hello. You know, I sit down and, and they're like, kind of like, what's going on? You know, people were, seemed like I had walked in late. And so the meeting went like 20 more minutes and then everybody got up and left. And I was like, what happened? Oh, and so that is the first time that I met Brad because the meeting actually was in his office. So two days later, he comes down to my classroom and he brings me this binder. He's like, hey. What is Brad's position at this point? He, he's teaching high school AP. Oh, um, okay. Right? So I, he's in the high school. I'm in the elementary. He's the boys head basketball coach. And he's also the cross country coach as well. Okay. Right? So I had was there when it happened. And so he comes over to the elementary and he brings me this binder. And he says, you know, like, I just want to share with you my parent binder, my less, my game plan binder. And I was like, looking at him and I was like, who are you? I'm like, well, I got a binder too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like going through my boxes, trying to find a binder. And I walked out and I was like, oh my God, who is this guy? Right. And, um, he was coaching cross country. And at the time I was running marathons. And so I started training with the cross country team. And then, um, 
we obviously had, I mean, when you're both head basketball coaches, you have to share the gym. We put, we were putting on basketball camps together and, um, yeah, you know, it's funny is probably like the third time I actually had an interaction with him. I was like, I'm going to marry that man. He doesn't know it, but I'm going to marry him. He was joyful. He is just such a good man. He, um, he, the only thing I had to ask him and you'll laugh at this is I wasn't sure if he was funny. And I really like to laugh. <laughs> so one of the days I walked in and um, it's like maybe the fourth time, fifth time when I, I walked in, I said, Hey, I got a question for you. And he's like, yeah. I said, are, are you funny? And he looked at me and he's like, what kind of question is that? And so I just kind of got to know, like, are you a funny person? Are you not a funny person? Like, are you like rah, rah? I'm just trying to figure out, you know? And he's like, no, I'm funny. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not sure if you're a funny person, but, it's, but he is hilarious. He has like a really dry sense of humor. And I love to laugh. And Brad has brought, we will be celebrating 20 years in August. And he Aww. has brought 20 years of, of laughter. And what's funny is that I love comedy, right? Like when I was in college, I would love to go to like stand up comedy routines and stuff like that. I was like, oh, maybe I could be a comedian someday. Like that's how much <laughs> I love laughter. And my kids were, I was like, mom, you are not funny. You're not funny. <laughs> And um, that's how much like I love to laugh. Um, I grew up laughing. I grew up with crazy uncles and cousins. And so that was like really important to me. But we always laugh a little bit about that, that that was like one of my main questions, like, are, are you funny? And so I met Brad that um, year. And, you know, I think by June we were engaged. We never really dated just and we were married in August. You How know, long did you date for? Maybe like a month, maybe two months officially. I mean, we really, you know, you I spent knew. the whole year. We just knew. I mean, literally, I mean, there really, what was, there wasn't any point for us to wait. Um, we just, it was just this amazing connection and teamwork and we complement each other. I mean, everything that I am not, he is and the other way around. Um, and we, we weren't going to do this like, let's date forever. And so we got engaged in June. I was like, let's just get married, you know? And I didn't need a big fancy wedding. Um, and we got married outside and our whole basketball team helped put us on the wedding. I mean, my class was in the wedding. I mean, we had like six, 700 people at our wedding. Most of them were kids and it was everything that we were, right? It was the perfect example of community, children, family. It was just absolutely blissful. And Brendan, who was not planned, was born a year later to the date on the day we got engaged. We got engaged on June 5th. One year later, Brendan was born um, on that day. And that's kind of been how our lives have been a little bit, um, a whirlwind of joy and craziness. And um, so, yeah, so we met and then we stayed one more year in Tonino. And that was such, I mean, this town is where we were at and, and we were coaching and teaching was like our family. I mean, they just took us in. I mean, my assistant coach was wearing a backpack with Brendan in it. I mean, the fans were holding him during the game. I mean, people were bringing us meals. They just embraced this like young couple that had just had a baby. And you know, as educators, you have no money. And so they, they just loved on us. And it was really hard to leave. Um, it was one of the hardest decisions was to leave that community to come overseas because we, um, it wasn't about, we weren't staying there in Tanao because we were making a lot of money, but the people were genuine, um, just amazing people. So 
that was a big decision when we chose to leave and we, we don't regret it, but we miss them always. And ultimately, what was the reason you chose to leave? You know, I think ultimately was that there was a point I, I, I always wanted to be a coach. I mean, I love basketball. I love coaching. I love that idea of, for me, it was about growing women, you know, taking these young girls and giving them a positive female role model and really about teaching them about life through the game of sports. And I always wanted to coach college basketball, but after I had Brendan, things changed. You know, I thought about what being a mom was going to be like. And one day I remember just watching him kind of being passed through the stands and it was late at night. You know, it's like varsity basketball games start at like seven 30. And I just was like, Oh man, I don't, I don't know if this is what's best for our family. And I remember going home and kind of talking about it with Brad and, Brad just said, you know, it's not fair for you as the as the mom being the one to feel like you have to hang up your whistle. He's like, how about we both hang up our whistles and we start a new adventure? And that was such a gift for my husband to not just say, well, you need to be the one that's not going to coach anymore and I'm going to stay with coaching. He was like, let's just go on a new adventure. And, and so we did it together. And I think that's what's been so powerful about our marriage is that we approach a lot of things like that, like together. Um, and so we took this big step moving to Saudi to start an adventure that's been an 18 year adventure so far. Do you feel like, like, it feels like that decision you made, you made it with your heart. Do you feel like that you make most of your decisions with your heart or do you make it with like logic? You know, I, you know, I'm a big believer in like psychometric assessments and like looking at yourself as a 360. So your strengths, your personalities, your passions and um, just like how you show up, like if in the Berkman, like what are your personality traits? And one thing that all of them have always alluded to in one shape, way, shape or form is that I rely heavily on intuition, which is my gut. And um, I think that that was a gut decision that in our heart of hearts and in my gut, I knew that we needed to, um, we needed to make a change. What our current lifestyle and what we were, wasn't sustainable I think the other thing is, is that we needed to almost like cleave to each other. Brad and I, I always think it was so good that we had Brendan because we were both pretty selfish people. Like in the fact of like, he was on his career path. He wanted to go into admin and be a basketball coach. And I was really wanted to be a basketball coach. So you had these two people that are like high achievers and have these plans and you brought them together. And then we were both kind of operating that. And then you brought a little person into it. And all of a sudden, it just makes you not be selfish at all and say, what do we need for this family? And I feel like we needed to go and figure out who our family was and who we were. And I think doing that where we were so close to our family and having this great and almost like an enabling community, it didn't, we needed to go on an adventure and we need to figure out who we were. Um, and so, yeah, it was an intu intuition is what it was, 100%. What were were the other countries that you were considering if it hadn't oh, been none. Saudi? There were no other countries. This is such a funny story because when we had some friends that lived here um, and they were like, oh, you should come to Saudi. You should come and teach here, right? And we were like, oh, okay. I mean, they, we didn't, they didn't really tell us much about anything. They didn't tell us about like the money or any of that. They're like, this is just a great place to raise your kids. And we were like, Oh, this is awesome. <laughs> so they gave us like, they put us in contact with our, the superintendent at the time. 
And he was like, well, you could sign up for the job fair. And so we looked and we're like, no, we can't. We The job fair is too expensive because you had to like pay for all of your copyings and all of that. You had to like get there. We're like, no, we can't do the job fair. So he came back and he's like, so you're putting all your eggs in one basket. It's like, it's like Saudi or bust. And we're like, yeah, it was like, okay. I mean, we, we literally did not know what we were getting ourselves into. I mean, I'm not even sure we asked good questions, right? We were just so excited to be going on this adventure. So it wasn't, we weren't looking, there were no other places to look. We didn't have the means to go and to interview and to do anything. It, for me, it was just a faith thing. You know, this opportunity came about by some people that we knew were here. We had been contacted and reached out and we were like, yeah, let's go for it. And it was crazy because the night that we had to get to Boston to interview with them, we had like a game, a varsity basketball game. So we like coached and then we like left Olympia at like nine o'clock at night. We ended up getting to Seattle like around midnight. Our flight was like 6 a.m. We had no money. We stayed in this hotel where the window had a gunshot in it. We like, I remember my mom bought me my interview outfit. Brad's mom bought me, um, like got money. She paid for me to go get my hair done. I mean, this was like, <laughs> everyone was like, we can do this. Right. So yeah. So then we flew to Boston we landed, we did it. We met with the superintendent. We had dinner. Then we got up the next morning. We interviewed in the hotel room, which was a little bit weird. And then we flew out that night and flew all the way back and just hit the ground running. So it was less than 24 hours on the ground. It was, it was awesome. Yeah. Crazy, but awesome. And then <laughs> when you guys, you moved to U- Utilia first? Yeah. Yeah. So when we landed, um, we, we landed in Utilia and Brad actually was taking a sixth grade position, but it was like sixth, seventh, eighth grade English and language arts. Um, Cause you know, you teach a lot of different things in Utilia. But crazy story, the job that Brad replaced was a gentleman named Gary Collins. They had just left to come back to the States. So we took their job. Then two years later, we ended up moving to Dharan. They actually came back to Dharan. They came back from the States and they're our best friends. We've been best friends with them for like, I don't know, 17, 16, 17 years. But they, we always laugh that if they wouldn't have left, we wouldn't have gotten the jobs to replace them. And then we ended up back in Dharan. So it was really a magical kind of yeah. full circle. It's kind of serendipitous. Moment. Yeah. <laughs> so you were only there for two years. Yeah, we were there for two years. And I didn't actually start teaching until halfway through the year because the lady that I was replacing, her husband, he was retiring. But Italy was a great place for us to start because when you go there, you're needed right? Like they need you. So like right away we were like needed. We were plugged into like church. We were leading worship. We were in small, we were doing kids ministry stuff. You know, we, you're needed in the school. So you're running like activities. So it was a place that just, I um, was so excited to have you and you just are needed. And that was such a great place for us because we like to be busy. We like to do things. We like to serve the community. And I think that if we would have landed in Daron, it's such a big place. And I think that we, we would have gotten probably swallowed up right away and, and, and maybe not in the best way. So I'm super thankful for our time in Udalia. I think that it was exactly what we needed right in the time of our lives. You were in Dharan and you taught kindergarten at first. Is that right? Oh, so I came to Dharan and I taught second grade. Oh, okay. And, yeah. and then how long were you in second grade? Um, I think I taught second grade for like, maybe four years. Okay. 
um, maybe four or five years. Yeah. And then um, after that, I was an instructional coach for a couple years. And then after that, I was in kinder, I taught kindergarten. And I think I taught kindergarten about maybe for four years. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then after that, I went to the company. Yeah. So I was at, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I was at the Hills for, I think, 10 years. So at some point, I've got one of those years off in my teaching, but about 10 years I taught there. So what job did you take in the company? Yeah. So that was an interesting. So part of, I mean, I think if you back up a little bit before I even get into the company is that, you know, part of the things is that I haven't been a classroom teacher and I totally loved being um, a classroom teacher. It was a great way for me to um, serve students, but also parents. I really have a heart for families and parents. I think that's something that I've always been naturally drawn to. I think, you know, we wake up one day and we're a parent and there's no manual and we're good people. And then sometimes our children make bad decisions or poor thing, poor choices. And we feel like it's our responsibility to fix that or that we've done something wrong. And so it, and it reminds me of my son, Brendan, when he was little, he was a biter, right? And he, and he bit. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, like no parent says, hey, today I'm going to teach my child how to be a biter, right? And I was mortified. We were living in Italy, a small town, and I couldn't figure out, like, why is my child biting? I mean, he comes from a loving family, right? We're like, we were so attentive. We literally had to follow him everywhere. And through a lot of studying and research and working with people, ultimately what we realized is Brendan was such an early verbal processor that his biting was really out of love and communication to get attention. That was such a powerful thing. And I just experiencing people coming along instead of partnering with me as a mom and as our family was something that I just gravitated towards. And so I think as a classroom teacher, to be able to extend that same gift that I had received about how do we partner with families? You know, how do we make them not feel shameful or feel bad when things aren't great? Because the reality is, is that we're not a sum total of our children's failures or even the things that they're good at. They are their own person in so many ways. So I hadn't been working on this for a long time. And then another part of me that I was really working on and actually really started much before, before I even came into education when I was in college was just this idea of supporting women. That's always been a big thing for me. Um, I came from, I have a really strong mom. Um, she was a great role model. I think that I found such joy in playing basketball and coaching basketball, but that kind of carried on for me moving out of like just young adolescents into more just women in general. Right. And as I was navigating that path of like being a mom and a working mom and, you know, going through postpartum and coming back and then just all of those different things that you go into, I also was experiencing like high anxiety around like perfectionism. I'm, I'm, I'm a high achiever and I'm highly perfectionistic of myself and probably unintentionally those around me. And so I just kind of went on this personal quest and there was a book called, um, you matter more than you think. And it led me on this whole thing around like the importance of having girlfriends, being authentic, real conversations, which led me into my work with Brene Brown around shame and vulnerability. And then we just keep going. And so at that time in my career, I had, I had been doing like a lot of like things where I'd bring women together and we do book studies, a lot around Brene's work, 
we would be looking at other authors and things just about how do we how do we love who we are and and how do we just accept who we are and how do we own all of the messiness within us and which even at that time led me more into like diversity equity and inclusion and i was doing a lot of work around just i think belonging ultimately is how do we make people feel like we belong which if you go back kind of that original story of when i was in high school that was already something that was important to me as i was watching those students that were migrant worker families coming into our school so i think it already been a huge part of who i was and that concludes our interview with jen bourne stay tuned for part two in a future episode. Thank you for listening to Just To Know You. We would like to thank our amazing tech man, Mr. Kent Arimura, Sterling McDonald for the podcast music, and the SAES community. See you next time. If you know anyone who you think has a great story to tell, we would love to hear about it. Please send an email to either Angela, Darian, or Kent.